Welcome to Master Your Relationship Mind Drama. Teaching you how to manage your mind so that you can create relationships you love. And now, here's your host, certified relationship coach and expert in all things love, friendship, and mind drama, Rebecca Orr. Hi, guys. How is everybody doing today? I am so excited because I go on holiday on Friday and this episode comes out then. So obviously I'm recording this in advance, but I cannot bloody wait. I might be on a plane as you're listening to this. I'm so excited. It's my first time abroad for about four years. So I'm even more excited (laughs) just to even be going to an airport feels really exciting to me. Um, I'm not even sure that I know exactly what to do when I get there. It's been that long, but I cannot wait. And luckily, my fiance is a very type A, monocroft friends type, which means I get to just relax and sit back and she'll just tell me exactly what I need to do and when. And she's just taken the lead on printing all the travel documents and booking our excursions and boat trips and things like that. So really, my job is just to turn up and relax, which is going to be amazing. So as I'll be lying on a beach in Gran Canaria next week, there will not be a podcast, but we'll just pick up the following week. And for today's episode, I wanted to talk about friendships rather than romantic relationships. So I thought I'd spice things up a little bit. And when it comes to my own relationship anxiety journey, I've had a lot of anxiety both in my romantic relationships and my friendships. But I know for some of you, you might predominantly have it more in romantic relationships maybe some of you predominantly have it in friendships maybe some of you are like me and I've had it in both but either way this is going to be a great episode for getting you to think a little bit more about your friendships what it means to be a friend and where you may be creating disconnection with some of the other humans in your life so let's dive straight in so what is the point of friendship a big question to start off with straight off the bat And most people would say it's to have a support system around you, people to love you and be there for you during your difficult times and and people to enjoy spending time with, maybe share common interests with perhaps. And we can all totally agree those are beautiful parts of what we get to experience within our friendships. But I want to pose a question that we will keep returning to throughout the course of this podcast, which is... What if your friends simply existed for you to love? What if their sole purpose was to simply be there for you to just enjoy feeling love towards? Now, the reason I ask this is important. Often we go into our friendships focused on what we want to get out of them, who we want them to be, what we want them to do for us, how we want them to show up. And so we turn up to our friendships, just like we do with our romantic relationships, with a long list of expectations, long manuals, detailing how we'd like our friends to act, things we want them to do for us, ways we want them to behave. And for those of you who have never heard me talk about manuals, I'm not talking about an actual written down instruction manual. We're never given those (laughs) when we sign up to be a friend with someone. I'm talking about our unspoken often definitely unwritten expectations that we have in our minds the things that we think in our minds of how we want others to behave 
And the reason we have these manuals is because we believe that how someone else behaves creates our emotions. So therefore, naturally, we want them to behave in particular ways that will create the emotions within us that we want to feel. So I do another podcast episode on manuals, um, I think it's number seven. So if you haven't already, you could go back and listen to that one. It'd be a good one for you to listen to. But the idea is that our manuals actually get us into trouble because people are not very good at following them. (laughs) They rudely have free will and their own ideas for how they should show up. And then when we're believing that how they act creates our emotions, we feel very powerless and out of control over our emotional lives. So let's think about this in terms of friendship. What do you believe makes someone a good friend? What does someone need to do to be a good friend to you? Maybe it's someone who calls you on your birthday or who checks in on you when you're sick or who remembers important occasions that are happening in your life. Consider what your brain maybe thinks is the opposite. What makes someone a bad friend? Maybe it's someone who cancels on plans more than twice in a row or tells you they think you made the wrong decision breaking up with your ex or who doesn't initiate hanging out as often as you initiate it. Just really think here, what would... What has your brain decided someone has to do to be a good friend and what might they do that would make them a bad friend? And I want you to notice here how these ideas, these kind of rules, expectations for what a good versus a bad friend does are all totally made up. They're all totally subjective. There's actually no set definition of what a good or bad friend is because we all wouldn't agree on it. It's not a fact None of us could agree the same things and and we couldn't all agree what the definition was. It's totally subjective. So your manual for what someone needs to do to be a good friend to you would look totally different to what mine might be or somebody else's. It's all totally made up in our own unique brains. And something else I'll mention here is that we just want to really watch out for where we're even labeling people and thinking of them in all or nothing black and white terms. We like to do that as humans, think of someone as a good friend or a bad friend or a good person or a bad person, when actually we are all mixes of good and bad. Again, totally subjective and made up definitions. But what I mean is we can all do things that are great and also things that are not so great. We can all be thoughtful and we can all be thoughtless. We can all get it right sometimes, we can all get it wrong. And when we think in terms of good and bad and right and wrong, we often miss out on the nuance of the individual in front of us. So this is just something to to think about. Maybe notice if in a particular friendship, your brain is using words like always or never. They never support me. They always shut me down. They're never there for me. Just notice that black and white, that all or nothing thinking and really just take a minute to question that. Is that really true? Are they sometimes there for you and sometimes not? Are they sometimes there to support you and sometimes busy? Just notice where maybe the shades of grey are here that our binary black and white brains don't like to dwell in. And so back to the idea of the manual, we all have these manuals and therefore we have these expectations and ideas for how we want our friends to act that they don't always comply with. And the problem with this is that we then use them not complying with our manual, with our expectations, as a reason to feel terrible. 
we make them not following our manual, our expectations, mean something bad. Maybe about ourselves or about them or about the relationship. And then we feel terrible. And then we likely blame them. They're making us feel terrible. They're making us feel so bad. I'll give you an example from my own journey with this work. I had a lot of anxiety in my friendships. So naturally, my brain came up with a lot of manuals for how I wanted my friends to behave in order for me to feel more secure and more happy. So if my friends didn't text me back as soon as I'd like, or if a couple of them met up and didn't invite me along, those were (laughs) things in my manuals that I had decided weren't okay. I felt terrible. I made it mean something terrible and then I blamed them for how I felt. I made it mean that they didn't like me. I wasn't good enough or fun enough, which created that those thoughts, not the action of what they did, those thoughts of what I made it mean created the emotion of rejection in my body. I felt rejected because of what I made it mean. And then because I believed that they were the source of my pain, I then blamed them and mentally rejected them. Maybe I was cold with them. I made passive aggressive comments. I disconnected from that in my mind. And this is what happens with our manuals. When someone doesn't follow our manual and then we blame them for how we feel, we create disconnection. And I'll repeat that because it's really important. When someone doesn't follow our manual for them and then we blame them for how we feel, that is what creates disconnection. And a lot of us are in the habit of using our relationships, both romantic and platonic, to validate ourselves. And I certainly did this. (laughs) If you've listened to my validation vending machine episode, if you've not, totally go ahead and listen to that. But I definitely used my friends as validation vending machines. I subconsciously treated them as if they were just there to prove to me that I was likable. (laughs) I wanted them to text me back quickly to prove to me that I was interesting and fun. And I wanted them to invite me places so I could believe I was likable. And my brain always told me I had to have a certain number of friends so that I could believe I was popular and good enough. It was all about me and what I was trying to prove to myself, which led to me making them not following my manual mean the opposite of all these things, mean that I wasn't likable, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't fun or interesting. And a good way to know that you might be using your friends for validation is if some of the following things sound familiar. Maybe you find yourself keeping score of who texts who the most or who initiated plans last. Maybe you compare how much time they spend with you compared to how much time they spend with another friend. Maybe you feel bad about yourself if they don't invite you out with them or if they don't text and call when you thought that they should. In each of these examples, you're using your friends and the way they show up and how they act or don't act to prove and debate something about your worth and value. So I'm going to repeat that because I want to be really clear. In these situations, you're using your friends and the way they show up and how they act and behave to prove and debate something about your worth and value, about how enough you are or fun or likable you are. And for most people, again, when they do this, they feel terrible, they feel rejected, they feel shame, they feel insecure, and then they feel justified in being mad at the the human, the friend, (laughs) the other human in their life, and want to punish them. They want to reject them. They want to teach them a lesson for making them feel so bad. 
creating more and more disconnection in the relationship that's totally unnecessary. And I want to bring us back to that question that I asked at the start of the episode, which was, what if your friends just existed for you to love? What if their job wasn't to invite you everywhere so that you can feel important or text you the amount that you think they should so that you can feel liked? What if their job was to just show up as their most authentic self and be exactly who they are? And your job was just to enjoy loving them for exactly that person. Now, that might seem very difficult, especially when we make other humans being exactly who they are mean terrible things that creates a lot of pain for us. And this is where really separating out, I feel like I say this on every single episode, but it's so important, separating out the facts of their behavior from your thoughts about them and owning the thoughts that are actually creating your feelings is so, so important. So let's take the example of them not inviting you somewhere. That's a fact that happened. They are out at a coffee shop. You see it on Instagram or you get told it and they did not extend an invitation to you. But what's creating your pain about that isn't the fact that they are there, isn't the fact that they didn't invite you. What's creating your pain is what you make that mean. Maybe you make it mean that they don't like you and that you're not fun enough. This is where we have to get really good at noticing these interpretations, these thoughts and challenging them. And this is actually what I've covered in my group coaching program this week. So I do a group coaching program, Master Your Relationship Mind Drama, 12-week program. And we're on week three at the moment. So we've been talking all about how to challenge and question our brain's default thoughts and interpretations. And really considering, why am I making it mean that? What else could be true here? What evidence is my brain ignoring that would actually suggest the opposite to be true? And here's actually where getting curious about what else could be going on for your friend is really important. Our brains are very quick to take things personally because of our primitive brain's fear of rejection. We tend to see everything through that lens of we could be being rejected. But we want to consider if this wasn't a personal rejection, what else could it be? What else could be going on here that I'm not considering? What might have gone on in their brain that led to them not inviting me other than, I don't like Rebecca, she's so boring, I'm not going to invite her. (laughs) And these moments where we take things personally and jump to the conclusion that somebody doesn't like us is actually a really great signpost for where we're not liking ourselves very much. Because let's be honest, if you were really sold on the belief that you were fun and likeable, would your first assumption be that they actually didn't like you and were intentionally excluding you? Or would you assume that they of course like you and just wanted to spend some time with other friends or wanted to keep the group a bit smaller? So use these moments to show yourself where you aren't liking you very much and commit to working on that. How can you love and accept you and think you're fun and likable regardless of what your friends are doing in these moments? I also read a great book on friendship once. I think it might be called Friendmissy by Shasta Nelson. It could have been a different one, so sorry if it isn't, that one. But either way, in the book I read, it said how a great idea in friendship is to just assume that everybody likes you until told otherwise. And that really blew my mind because my mind had been so on red alert for signs that people didn't like me. It didn't even consider that I could just assume the opposite to be true. 
and I could just assume that everyone wanted to talk to me and be friends with me until I was provided with evidence that that wasn't true, until they told me, no, (laughs) I don't want to hang out with you. And think how differently you would just naturally show up to your friendships if you were just assuming that people liked you. It's so crazy how much more confident and secure we would be. And a lot of the time in both my group coaching program and my one-on-one coaching sessions, people bring up the issue of reciprocation when it comes to friendships. And I want to dispel a common myth or belief that a lot of people seem to have. And that's the idea that friendships should be 50-50. And by that, people often mean they should text me as much as I text them. They should call me as often as I call them. They should invite me to hang out as often as I ask them to hang out, things like that. And I want to talk about how that belief actually creates so much resentment and disconnection. Now, what I'm not saying here is that we should pursue friendships with people who clearly don't have any interest in being friends with us. We shouldn't keep asking people to hang out who never respond or say yes, and that maybe actively say no to us. That may leave you with a restraining order on your hands. But what I want to offer is that if you have a friend and you're the one who always initiates first, you're the one that checks in and invites them out, And then when you meet up, they come along and you have an amazing time together and you really get on well with them and enjoy their company. Who cares who initiated? Who cares that you're the initiator? Who cares if you're the proactive one when it comes to texting? Really think about that for a moment. Who cares? Because if you weren't making their lack of initiating mean anything bad about you, And if you weren't making it mean that they didn't care or they didn't enjoy the friendship or that it meant that you weren't likable or you weren't good enough, guess what? You just get to show up and enjoy loving them. You'd get to just enjoy the fact that this human exists and enjoy spending time with them when you can. If I'm saying it like it's easy, trust me, I know it isn't. (laughs) This is where a lot of my mind drama was rooted, so I totally understand the mind drama that all of our brains can create around this. But when you really look at the thoughts and separate out the facts from what we're making them mean and really question that, you can actually choose to not make it mean anything at all. But the trap we fall into is making their behaviour or lack of be a reflection of us. And then we feel bad and think something has gone terribly wrong. But really, their thoughts in their brain are what create their behavior. And it has nothing to do with your worth and value, how fun, how interesting, or how good enough you are as a friend. Their thoughts about friendship and initiating or texting may be totally different to yours. So what? What if that was totally okay? What if we were just loving and accepting them for who they are? And another interesting question that may blow your mind a little is what if it was totally okay if you liked some of your friends more than they liked you? And I've heard one of my favorite coaches, Cara Lowenthal, talk about this. This is who I heard it off. And it really, really resonated with me and helped me when I heard her say it. Because my brain was always trying to debate, do they like me as much as I like them? Do they feel as close to me as I do to them? But if you really get curious about that question, do they like me as much? Do they feel as close to me? Why does it matter? The reason it matters is because we've decided that how much they like us means something about us. 
And therefore, if they don't have the same number of positive thoughts, like I don't even know how we'd measure who likes who more, if we'd literally scanned our brains and did it on the number of positive thoughts we each have about each other, you know, if they did have um, a certain number of positive thoughts that was less than the number that we had about them, we've made that mean that we would have to feel terrible. It would mean we're not good enough or fun enough or all these terrible things that we're constantly trying to prove with our brains, all these mean beliefs about ourselves. But your friends are just humans with human brains having thousands and thousands of thoughts about all kinds of things. Maybe you do have more thoughts about them that create love and positive feelings in your body. Who cares? So what? That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that their brain doesn't happen to have as many positive thoughts. That your brain is really good at thinking positive thoughts about them. And what their brain does, it's actually nothing to do with you. You don't create it. You don't create their positive or their negative thoughts about you. Their brain does. When I heard Cara talk about this, she said it so matter-of-factly and it blew my mind. (laughs) She said that she probably liked some of her friends more than they liked her and she knew that some of her friends liked her more than she probably liked them and that that was totally okay and normal and it didn't mean anything. She still got to show up and enjoy relationships with each of them and enjoy loving each of them. And this is where the not needing them for validation really comes in. Because if you aren't using your friends for validation and you don't need them to have certain thoughts about you or behave in certain ways in order for you to feel good, in order for you to believe you're valuable or worthy or good enough, again, you just get to enjoy loving them. And another important thing I want us to touch on is being really curious about the differences you share with your friends. It's so easy to assume that just because we think about things in a certain way, everybody else's brain will too. I did this with texting. My thought was, well, when I like someone, I text them back quickly, maybe even instantly. And then when a friend would take a few days to respond to me, I made it mean they didn't like me. Because I wouldn't act that way when I liked someone. That means that surely they wouldn't either, and therefore they must not like me. But everybody's brains work differently. Just because you would invite them when you hang out with that mutual friend doesn't mean their brain would think to do that. Just because you think to text good luck before an interview doesn't mean their brain will remember. Notice where you're making assumptions about what all of these things mean. About you, about them, or about the relationship. Really challenge it. Get curious. Get curious about them and their brain. What might be going on for them right now that you've not considered? What thoughts might they be having? How might their brain work differently to yours when it comes to this? Rather than resenting or judging them, what if you could have compassion for them and their humanness? They're not perfect, neither are you. We are all imperfect humans doing the best we can with what we have in the moment. So notice where judgment and blame is sneaking in and try to redirect yourself to curiosity and compassion. And this leads me on to the next point, which is radical acceptance for our friends. Accepting our friends for exactly who they are. And this is easier said than done. And it's also something that's important in any relationship, romantic, family, colleagues, whoever it is. When we resist the reality of people and tell ourselves that they should be different, our friends should be different in some way, We create so much suffering for ourselves. Telling yourself your friend should be more thoughtful or more punctual 
or make more effort or text you more, be more friendly or stay for longer when you hang out or make more time for you. Notice when you're telling yourself these things, you're resisting the reality of the person in front of you. You're rejecting who they are, telling yourself they should be something different. And that is a recipe for disconnection. The person in front of you is exactly who they're supposed to be. Not only can you accept them for that, but you could also love and appreciate them for it. Because when you're believing they should be different, you miss out on enjoying them for who they are. You don't allow yourself to feel gratitude and love for them. And of course, this doesn't mean not having boundaries. We can love and accept our friends for exactly who they are and say no when we don't want to do something and not partake in conversations we don't want to take part in or not drive to see them as often as they'd like us to. Loving and accepting them doesn't mean betraying yourself or doing things that don't feel good to you. It just means not resisting the reality and deluding yourself by believing they're supposed to be somebody different. In my group and one-on-one coaching programs, we talk a lot about want matches. And what I mean by a want match is basically where two people in a relationship share the same wants. And this applies both in romantic and friendship relationships. Maybe you have a want in a friendship that your friend doesn't share. Maybe you want to be able to talk about your ex every time you meet up and they don't want to listen to it. Maybe you want a friend that comes out and drinks in bars with you and that's not really their scene, that's not a want they have. Accepting your friend for who they are means accepting where you may have different wants and preferences for a friendship and then moving forward. That doesn't mean necessarily moving forward and ending the friendship. You can have a friend who doesn't meet all of your want matches. If this friend doesn't want to talk about your ex, that's okay. You can accept that, you can accept them, still love them and go and find someone else to have that conversation with. You don't have to make it mean anything terrible about them. You don't have to stop loving them. I have a friend who hates texting. (laughs) So in between us meeting up, we don't really talk a lot. And whenever I text and ask, hey, how are you? How's your week been? She's literally said to me in the past, you know I don't answer these kinds of questions. (laughs) She literally wrote that. I do not answer these kinds of questions. She just doesn't want it. It's not a want match. She doesn't want to text about her week and fill me in on her life over text. She wants to just do that in person. It is not a want match for her to text me in that way. But I have plenty of other friends who love doing that with me. I have one friend that I text throughout the day, every day, and others that I check in with once or twice a week. And that's totally okay. I don't need to make it mean anything at all. I can just enjoy loving her for exactly who she is. And this became a lot easier for me to do when I decided that my friends were no longer there to validate me and make me feel good and prove to me I was likable and decided they simply existed for me to enjoy loving and spending time with. And if you're having a lot of mind drama about a certain friend, I want to offer you that this is a really beautiful opportunity for you to really learn more about yourself and your own brain. Really get curious about what your brain believes the problem is here and what meanings it's attaching to their behaviors that's creating disconnection. Where are you using this friend to debate how worthy and good enough you are instead of just enjoying loving them? Okay, guys, that's all I've got for you today. 
if you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask you to do a little something for me? Could you go ahead and give this podcast a little rating on whatever platform you're listening from? This is how I can keep reaching more and more people and spreading the word of this work. And then also maybe share it with a friend who you think would really enjoy it. And finally, if you're listening to this and really resonating with the way I talk about relationships and mind management, I have a freebie I would love to offer you. It's a 25-minute video training teaching you five steps for when you're spiraling. So five simple steps to take back control of your mind when your brain is on one. So if that sounds like something you need, head to the show notes of this episode and I'll drop the link in there. And remember, there is no episode next week as I'm going to be sunning it up in Gran Canaria. But I will catch you all when I'm back in the rainy UK. And I hope you all have an amazing rest of the week. I'll speak to you all soon. Bye. If you're loving this podcast, you can also hang out with Rebecca on Instagram and TikTok at Rebecca or Coaching. Don't forget to sign up to her email list for exclusive freebies and for more information on her one-to-one and group coaching programs.